Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. This is Christopher here in studio with Matt. Matt, welcome back. Glad to be here. This is going to be a fun episode. I think we've we've been kind of like on pins and needles for this episode for a while. As soon as we came up with the idea. Yeah, I almost said, hey, let's skip Mask of the Phantasm and go straight to this. <laughs> if, if that had not been such a great movie, I would yeah. have said, let's just skip it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we even got some great throughout the question. I guess I should mention what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, you know, some people call them guilty pleasures. Others are just, you know, unabashed in their love for the movies that are maybe not so great, but we just love them to death because, I don't know, the right time, they just, they hit some nerve that we just, it gives us joy. It's different for everyone. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to have a lot of fun. I threw the question out on my Facebook page and in the, uh, in the Time Shifters Facebook group, and we got a couple of responses, so we'll go through those. Before we do that, uh, thank you very much for listening. i just remind you that you can download, you can subscribe and download the episodes. Go to timeshifterspodcast.com or subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. Any feedback can be sent to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at Movies at the Mat and at TimeshiftersPod. And as I mentioned before, the Timeshifters Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for us. We are there. So any feedback or anything, send it our way. I don't have any feedback this week. Floyd, no emails from Floyd or anything today. We'll have to check, send somebody over to the house. <laughs> yeah, I was going to see. It was a little too late. By now, he, he may have actually heard us talking about uh, inviting him in for this episode, and I didn't do it. His kind of life kind of getting in the way, and I realized, oh, now it may be a little late. <laughs> hey, last minute, I just like two days from now, you want to come over? I didn't think that would be very good. If this was live, we could tell him to get in the car and get over here now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> It'll be your hurry. So I guess there there is some news. I saw a couple of news stories flash up that I figured might have piqued your interest. Yep. Um, so what do you got in the news? So here's, <laughs> for the news, here's Matt. There's a couple of things, actually, uh, I just thought of. Um, last week, I don't know if you heard about this or if you're familiar with the um, the program uh, Movie Pass. Yes. Uh-huh. You heard about that? I've heard it only because I have a couple coworkers that are yeah. really excited about it. So they've been around for a little while, um, and basically you sign up with their app, you, you have a monthly fee, and you can see one movie a day for that fee a month. So originally when it came out, I think it was like $50 you'd pay a month, and so you know, you'd have to see a few movies to kind of make that money back. Right. But then it got acquired by one of the co-founders of Netflix, and they slowly had been reducing the price. And then last week, they said, or two weeks ago, they said nine ninety-five a month, any movie a day, so long as it's not a 3D or an IMAX, which I don't really go to anyway. So something like in November of last year, they had about 20,000 subscribers, decent amount. Sure. Last week, and I was among them, 150,000 people <laughs> well, signed why up. wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, effectively, you go to the movie once a month. And honestly. it's paid for. It's it. paid for. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. And AMC came out, and they were very upset, saying that this is a model that, that can't work. Because the, the way it works is the moment you know, you're, you've you know, gone to movies that are more than nine ninety five. Movie Pass pays the theater the difference. That's how the theater gets that money back. Mm. And their their thinking is, well, more people will go to the movies. We'll deal with the long term when it gets here because maybe they'll slowly raise the price. Sure. Oh, you know? I would think they would. Yeah. But right now they've made like almost one and a half 
billion dollars in a, a million dollars. Sorry, one and a half okay. million dollars. <laughs> I totally did that wrong. One and a half million dollars in a week. Yeah. It's insane. That's incredible. I wish, I mean, it's more of a time thing with me. Uh, it's not, it's never really been necessarily about the money, although, uh, you know, it is a little pricey to go to the movie sometimes because I have to get the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as much as a ticket nowadays. Uh, but it's always just kind of a time crunch for me. I have I have a hard time finding the time to go to the movies. But if, oh my God, if, if I could figure it out, if I could work out the time, this movie pass would be the way to go. Right. Just go to a couple movies a month. And one of my coworkers was saying, he's like, even if it's a movie that I'm like on the fence about, I'll just go anyway. Right. For that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I try to go two, three times a month. It'll end up paying for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, like 90 some odd percent of movie theaters in the country use movie pass. I looked up all the theaters I go to. They all use it. But do, do you partake in the concessions when you're in a theater or do you go do without? Not usually, unless I'm going to one of like, there's the theater in uh, Florence where it's like the full service one where right. you can like oh. order a dinner. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the only time where I'm like, all right, let's just make it dinner and a movie during the movie. Right. So you're probably one of the people where a lot of times where the, the theaters might be losing out a little bit on you with the yeah. movie pass because the concessions is where they make a good portion of their profit right. is through concessions, not through selling tickets. Right. They make very little on the movies that they show. Yeah, I'm the worst kind of customer for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the better ones because I go and I have to get that big bag of popcorn and uh-huh. I get the... Then I you get, need something to wash it down with. <laughs> yeah, so I got to get that soda you can practically take a bag bath in and, yeah. <laughs> so yeah they 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 like me it's just that that damn i don't know what it is about that popcorn but i love theater popcorn after working in a movie theater i won't eat theater popcorn <laughs> sorry yeah. uh, i don't think it would bother me it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where i've seen the sausage made still want it okay <laughs> what if someone told you they kept it in a back room for a week i know they do that because and i thought this was ridiculous i went to the movie and it was they were showing some self-promotion video or whatever and they actually showed how they pop all this popcorn ahead of the time and then store it and then bring it out and it's where so it's hot and fresh you're like that's not a good thing to no. show. Uh-uh. That's <laughs> so what we did. We popped stale it a week popcorn. in advance. Yeah. It's gross. <laughs> I won't do it. Unless I see them popping it fresh, I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of I think it depends on the theater. A lot of the theaters you'll see that it is fresh pop popcorn. Right. There are others where I don't know how many still do it a week in advance like this video showed. I couldn't believe because this was actually being shown in the theater that you're sitting in. You're just there like, ah, uh, I'm going to put that back. <laughs> so I'm eating stale popcorn. Is that what you're telling me? You've already bought it. Ha ha. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm waiting for my movie pass card to show up. When it gets here, I will let you know how it works. I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing the you know what films you take in. Anything. Yeah. (laughs) Who cares? It's on them. I'm free. I've got a few hours. I'll go to the movies. All right. Uh, Other bit of news. I forgot to mention this last time was with uh, some of the lineups of the DC movies coming out at Comic-Con. And then the other news that kind of dropped this week to me, in my mind, I feel like they're connected. DC is saying now that they intend to make DC comic movies that are not tied in to the main DC universe that they are going to be making a movie that is going to be pr- produced by Martin, Martin Scorsese about the, an origin story for the Joker. But it's not Jared Leto. It's not any of those characters. New cast, technically the same character, but in a separate universe. That's going to be real confusing to people. Yeah. 
Yeah, I heard about this idea of a Joker origin, and that came out before the news that there was going to be this independent universe or whatever. But it's still that makes I can't help but think that they came up with that as sort of a uh, get out of jail free card. That's or what I'm thinking. When they really muck things up, they can go, yeah, 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 but that was that wasn't the part of the universe. That was just separate. That's just for fun. Right, and the thing that came out of Comic-Con that I forgot to talk about is they announced the title of what the Solo Flash movie will be, which is Flashpoint. And I don't know if you're familiar with that comic book story. Uh, Vaguely, a little. So Barry Allen tries to fix something in his past. He tries to stop his mom from getting murdered. He thinks, like, what are the repercussions? I've got to save her. He comes back to present day, and everything's different. One, he's not the Flash, even though he has his powers, but apparently he didn't get them. Two... Um, Atlantis is at war with Themyscira, and three, for whatever reason, Bruce Wayne was murdered when his when Joe Chill jumped out of the shadows instead of his parents, and his dad becomes Batman, and his mom goes crazy and becomes the Joker, which now makes sense that they cast um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Lauren Cohen to play. Um, Thomas and Martha Wayne I would love to see him as this much more and he's a lot more of aggressive Batman he uses guns he'll kill his villains wow. so imagine Jeffrey Dean Morgan hold, you know getting two pistols sidearms and he's you know taking out villains but he's got to battle his wife who broke over the death of their son wow okay yes. yeah I, I have heard all that I didn't realize it was all part of the same sort of uh, overall arc yeah one story and so it's interesting Barry trying to set things right. And so you have Wonder Woman battling Aquaman and Earth is the battleground. And I'm thinking like this solo Flash movie is going to be like this huge spectacle. When Barry sets it straight, he comes back and world's a little bit different, but mostly how he, you know, before he changed it. And I'm wondering with this other universe stuff, is this there, like you said, the get at a jail free card it's like all right people don't really like jared little there's the joker and we're going to test this solo joker movie maybe that guy's the joker now well this isn't really anything new to dc and in all their books don't they have all alternate earths throughout their books yeah. so like they'll have superheroes but those superheroes don't exist in the same universe as other superheroes and that sort of thing yes that's that's very much part of, of what they do and that's what the big comic book fans can follow can the average movie goer follow that because they they remember they said a few years ago people were like oh are, are the popular dc shows going to be connected to the movies is grant gustin going to be the flash in the movie is Stephen Amell going to be Green Arrow in a movie? And they were like, no, we think that would be too confusing for people. This isn't? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah, like you said, the, the, the standard moviegoer, they're going to go and watch this, and you'll see Wonder Woman and Aquaman fighting, and maybe one kills another or whatever, and then another Justice League movie, and they're like, well, wait a minute, I thought he's dead. Right. I don't know. I don't understand. They're, yeah. You know, that's, Who's the other Joker? Is he in this? Is he not in this? That's kind of playing fast and loose. That seems like a story that would have been better played out on the television show. Yeah. If you're going to do The Flash. He's already done the little, I think they've kind of done their own sort of version of it, where he's gone yeah. back in time and messed things up, and people have lived and died and mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. But that seems like something that should be played out there, where the TV audience will be able to follow it a little bit, I think, better. Because it's already a soap opera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they did a Flashpoint. They did a Flashpoint episode. It wasn't that great, but like the 
repercussions. Like they solved the problem quick, but the repercussions were felt throughout the season. I would have liked something a little bit different. How I had it in my head, I thought was closer resembling to the comic book, but that was them. Um, the movie, I, I don't know. That sounds like a five-hour movie to do yeah. all of that. Yeah, is that going to? They're going to split it up, so it's going to be like Lord of the Rings. Maybe <laughs> tell three to three movies or something. The to- Lord of the Flashpoint. <laughs> Point part one. Right. So I don't know. And I wonder if it's their way of still very early on to their universe, they're going to reboot the universe within the universe. And how much of this side universe is going to meld into it because they kind of want to redo things. Part of which is people, there were rumors that the Matt Reeves Batman movie wasn't going to be part of the DC universe. And that was getting reported on for days. And then people were like, well, what does that mean for Ben Affleck? And then he had to finally come out and go, no, that's not what I meant. I meant it's going to be a self-contained movie, but it's still in the shared universe. It's just not going to further the shared universe. It's just going to further Batman. I'm confused, I'm and nothing's confused. aired yet. Yeah, I'm confused already. I, it's amazing because it wasn't that long ago when if you had a a movie franchise that was going to in any way impede on something that was on television or vice versa, one would stop and the other one would begin so you wouldn't – so that the audience wouldn't be confused. Yeah. Especially if there was going to be cast changes or something like that. I mean, right now we've got you know the Flash and the Green Arrow. We've got Supergirl, whatever. We got these TV shows on on the CW, and those run and they're completely independent and completely different actors in the movies, and that's okay now. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, the Flash series would have ended. Yeah, because they want to do movies, and oh, we're going to recast and do an origin and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and. Now it all runs together, and but I think you have maybe – obviously we have crossover audiences, but I guess maybe there is also an audience for one and an audience for another yeah. that isn't as much of a crossover. Or they we finally learned how to we can – or maybe they finally learned that we're smart enough that we can tell a difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean you have your audiences who don't really watch those kinds of shows, and then you have your audiences who don't go to the movies. But you know somebody who doesn't watch that kind of show is just sort of like, oh, The Flash, like that – show i keep hearing about like no actually it's not it's not related to that at all except in name and you know where it came from the flash didn't he go against like ming the merciless is that right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's what's coming out there and it's really confusing right now and yet like none of it is even in pre-production so good luck to them yeah i hope it works these are some stories that i love i i just i want them to get it right i'm rooting for them it's just it's just everything you hear, you're just sort of like, ooh, okay. And there's always, for me, it is always going to feel like they are trying to play catch-up. Yeah. Whether they really are or not, they just feel like they're trying to play catch-up to Marvel. Like they sat on the fence and went, oh, this Marvel thing isn't going to work out. And then when it was obvious that it was going to be great, <laughs> that it was going to just universe was going to explode and they could have TV shows on not only just network television, Netflix, um, Amazon Prime. No, wait. No, I guess there's no Marvel on Amazon Prime. Not it's yet. All on <laughs> Not yet. There's there's shows on Netflix. There's shows on network TV. There's show. There's movies. And, and it's all joined. And it's all joined. And DC just sat there and went, oh. I guess we should have done something, huh? <laughs> yeah. And they tried. That's what that Green Lantern movie was. That was supposed mm-hmm. to kickstart a shared universe. That didn't go well. That did not go well. And that well. made them even more gun-shy. And then they just, you know, buried themselves into Chris Nolan, 
who was like kind of their one saving grace, but they didn't want to use his Dark Knight universe to start a universe. So they took a shot with Zack Snyder. Yay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll see. I'm still hopeful for Justice League. We'll see. Wonder Woman was awesome. Wonder Woman was great. We'll always have that. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Patty yeah, Jenkins. If nothing else goes right, we'll always have Wonder Woman. Have any other news? I, I don't have anything else. That's all I have. Superheroes and movie pass. <laughs> all right. That's good enough. Tell you what, let's take a short break here for another for a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we'll start down our list. We've got five films each, so that's going to be ten movies we're going to discuss real quick. And we'll also talk about uh, some of the other movies that people on our uh, Facebook have, uh, have piped in up about. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Sia. All right, Matt, I will give you the top spot to go first oh, wow. if you want. Okay. If you want it. If you want so, this. Well, first I just want to clarify how I look at this okay. is um, these are movies that I know are bad. Like some people say, oh, it's, it's a movie that I insist is good even though everybody else says it's bad. That's not what I looked at because to me a movie I insist is good that everybody else says is bad is a movie like Willow. I love that movie. But I think it's good. I don't. Th- I think everyone else is wrong. <laughs> and you know, screw everybody else. This is a good movie. That's not you what these are. You are brave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I am the greatest and swordman that ever end, lived. That, that that ends my willow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a good movie. The world is wrong. Warwick Davis is great. <laughs> but uh, well, no, that I won't argue with that. I think he's awesome. Okay. <laughs> But these are movies that I sit there and go, no, it's terrible. And I can tell you a hundred things wrong with it. I like it anyway. Okay. You know, I go against my better instincts and I like it anyway. So to start that off, um, 1991's Nothing But Trouble. Interesting. Do okay. you know that movie? Uh, yes, I believe so. It's been a while. Well, that's been... I'm sure I've seen it, but it was probably like 1993 or something like that. <laughs> Starring Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. which kind of speaks volumes unto yeah. itself, with Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, and Demi Moore. 
a lot of other people in the movie, but um, it's this bizarre kind of dark comedy that only Chevy Chase could make. Um, a businessman finds he and his friends the prisoners of a sadistic judge and his equally odd family right. in the backwoods oh, of a bizarre yes. mansion. That's the one I thought it was, and yes. I was trying to like, I think that's the one I remember. Yes, okay. Dan Aykroyd in the most ridiculous prosthetics that you don't even recognize him until he speaks. And it it's disgusting. It's this giant mansion that is like falling apart, and yet there's all this stuff in it. There's a part because he's a banker, and you know you find out he he gets arrested for like running a stop sign, and then this judge who like has no sense of like what the law is supposed to be is just sort of like sentencing him to like death, <laughs> and you know they run and hide in the house to to try to escape, and like they end up in the attic and they see all of these driver's licenses, and they're all bankers, and they even find Jimmy Hoffa's and it's ridiculous it's funny, it's stupid. It's there's parts that are just really gross. Like there's Dan Aykroyd has a second part as one of like the judge's nephews, and they are like these. Imagine if a baby grew up to an adult but still looked like a baby, and they're just in these giant rubber suits, and they're like covered in oil to look sweaty, and they're wearing these huge adult diapers, and that's it. <laughs> and they're hideous looking. They look like giant warts that came to life, and they're like grabbing and groping to me more and you're just sort of like what am i seeing this is hideous and i I don't know why if you put it on right now i'd stop talking and watch (laughs) because i i don't know what it is about that movie there's this whole musical number that pops up in the middle for no reason and it's ridiculous that is one like i said i i know i've watched it but it has to have been it's just ages ago when it was probably maybe first came to vhs or Mm -hmm. maybe it was on network television or something like that or cable television i don't know so i can't really speak much to the plot or anything that's one of those movies where i just have images of and Mm -hmm. i think it's that movie yep apparently it is (laughs) that's that's sort of like the dinner scene and everything i was like i remember a little bit of that and uh, vaguely remember that it was Chevy Chase that was in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, Demi Moore. I forgot it was Demi Moore in yep. there. I think that was one of those ones where it, the filmmaker probably was, let's get all these really talented people together and something funny will happen. And that doesn't <laughs> <Nothing> always <fun>. <laughs> happens. <laughs> right. It doesn't always work. Yeah, it, it's a total mess. It's, you know, yeah, there's not even really a lot of jokes. It's funny in the sense that it's bad. You're just watching and you're like, what were they thinking? And yet it looks good. Like the set is probably the star of the movie. But yeah, there's other than that, there's really nothing redeeming about it. And I can't not like it. I can't think. I think there was just a few movies like that in that time where they just kind of threw in these, the big names. They, 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 they grouped together some big stars and they had some weird plot that went around them. I'm thinking uh, nothing but trouble. Then I'm thinking of something like haunted honeymoon. (laughs) Um, You know, that time through the early, early to mid nineties or whatever, just seemed to be rife with that kind of stuff. Um, Was another one with a, Oh, Gene Wilder. Um, The woman in red or something like that. um, I don't remember now. The man with one red shoe. Uh, I think it was another Chevy Chase vehicle there. 
or was that Tom Hanks? Um, I should stop now because I'm probably really <laughs> there's probably people You're going, no, you idiot. <laughs> you ever hear this thing called Google? No. <laughs> well, write to us. Let us know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, tell me what how wrong I am. All right. Well, how I went about these movies or judging these movies, these are just movies that by all measures they shouldn't work. I mean, for anybody. I mean, they're everything they do is kind of maybe they're wrong whether they're it's wrong because it was just maybe the wrong time for something uh, too late too early some may argue usually they are you know flops in the theater and i'm like that one stalwart that went it was great yeah <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing uh that's kind of how i judge it and it really just comes down to i just enjoy watching them or they're the movies that if i would be flipping through the channel and i see it Oh, got to stop. Yep. You know, just to watch wherever it is, just because I want to watch it. That's kind of how I rate these films or how I pick these films. Uh, you'll see most of the ones that actually made my list. I actually kind of had a hard time compiling what I would consider like my top five or whatever. But the ones that actually made the top five of the list, you'll notice they're all kind of in the fantasy or science fiction or whatever genre i've got a few honorable mentions that kind of fall out of that mm. but uh the first one that i have to that i have to mention is because it was one of these films that my friends and i all went and saw and probably because of me and they all probably regretted it <laughs> and i loved it 1996 the phantom just take a look around darkness rules the earth in a dangerous world. Governments crumble. Chaos reigns. In a treacherous time. There is opportunity in chaos. Evil is a fact. We shall succeed where they have failed. Drax is on a quest for a supernatural power. They know far too much. And courage. Stop them. You're the only one who can. Is a phantom. Okay, I like that movie. Do you like that? Yes, I, I do. I don't know what it is. I love that movie. Alec it is, Baldwin. Uh, oh no, no, Zane. Billy Zane. I'm, Billy I'm thinking Zane. The Shadow. The, yes. Oh yeah, The Shadow. That had I watched it again recently, The Shadow might have found its way on my <laughs> list. Maybe I don't know. It's been too long. I need to revisit that one. But no, Billy Zane, Billy Zane. Uh, Treat Williams, who must have gained. 20 pounds eating the chewing the scenery <laughs> in that film. Uh, Catherine Zeta Jones, you know, in here, uh, Christy Swanson, the uh, kind of the, the, those are the, the head of the cast. And based off of the Lee Falk uh, comic character mm-hmm. and, you know, the ghost who walks, the more I learned about maybe it's just because of the more I learned about the Phantom after I saw the movie, the more I loved the character. <laughs> and so I just. I just eat it up. And the film itself, 
it's ridiculous. It's over the top. Mm-hmm. It is a comic book movie. I mean, the colors are almost comic book. There's, but then there's horrible green screen. Uh, <laughs> the 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 scene with uh, the phantom, you know, and on the plane, and it's it's like. 1970s television special effects yeah. and it's so obvious what's going on it doesn't matter to me i just <laughs> i just eat that film up i just absolutely love it probably because it, it is so over the top yeah um if you had to explain a comic book just jumping onto the screen this is it like you said with the colors like his suit the they did not change that purple suit he looks like he stepped right out of the page because mm-hmm. today that'd be like a dark tactical suit that's purple instead they're just like nah just put him in a skin tight purple outfit that we don't know how we squeezed him into it and yeah it's it's ridiculous and yeah i enjoy it too quite a bit and the people who worked on it enjoyed it uh billy zane they said they originally built the costume and built muscles into the costume but he was so excited about doing this he ripped himself so bad that they like oh we don't need it anymore right (laughs) so pretty much what you see in that costume that's billy zane yeah (laughs) When we went and saw it, I think we saw it. It wasn't opening weekend because okay. I think it had like it had opened and then it like left almost every theater <laughs> instantly. So we had to like drive all the way out somewhere in like the Western Hills or something to go to the one theater in town that was still showing it. And when we got there at the desk, I'm showing Matt this now. They were giving these away. Oh my god! This is a legitimate metal. Actual metal phantom ring. That's skull fantastic. Ring. And I still have that. How much do you is, want? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I just the full ab- skull. <laughs> yeah, I just absolutely love it. That's great. So yeah, there's no reason that. I mean, there's probably a good reason it didn't work. Uh, oh yeah. But I, I just absolutely love it. Do what do you think? Would you, too soon? It, it, would that have flown? I mean, that when comic book films too late. Too late, you I think? think too late. For that film, you think it was yeah, too late? Absolutely. Because you know what? It, it's closer to Adam West Batman mm, sure, than sure. anything that came after. Because, you know, not long after is when you started getting, like, you know, the X-Men movies and Spider-Man and yeah, things were a little bit point. more serious. And so yeah, I had think this predated, too like, late. had this predated 89's Batman. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it was wedged between a bunch of serious superhero movies. Mm-hmm. If it had been earlier in the 80s or even in the 70s, I think it would be like a cult classic that was loved rather than a movie that bombed that other people like us love. <laughs> <laughs> I think because we see it for what it is, where everyone else was like, this isn't a superhero movie. And it's like, no, that's exactly what a superhero movie is. Yeah. It's ridiculous and fun. <laughs> and well, in so many superheroes, I mean, the uh, the Phantom predates most of the superheroes. Yeah. The Phantom predates Batman. Uh-huh. And so a lot of the superheroes that we know and love and are around today got their inspiration from Lee Falk's The Phantom. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's just like those old radio serials. It plays like one. It, yeah. it feels yeah, like yeah. somebody listened to one and just started writing the scenes down. And, yeah, I, I really enjoy that movie for what it is. Yeah, excellent. So my next one, I'm wondering if this is on your list. I know we've talked about it. Um, 2003, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It was the next thing on my list. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would have that. Yeah. That I, is the one. That is the one that if I'm flipping through a channel and I see that, you're Wherever stopping. it is, I gotta stop. And Last watch five it. minutes doesn't matter. Yeah, even if it's just I'm just waiting for the wife to come down so we can watch something. It's like, are you watching this? No, I just wanted to see it. I just wanted to see this little bit. Fifteen yeah. minutes, whatever. Good. 
Yeah. Sean Connery. Um, uh, a lot of other people that I don't really know. Yeah. Stuart Townsend, Peter Wilson. Shane West. Um, Jason Fleming. Tony Curran, who was the Invisible Man in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he went on and he actually appeared as uh, in a Doctor Who episode. It was a brilliant Doctor Who episode. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, if you want to pronounce it that way. <laughs> and then he uh, he was in the uh, sci-fi series um, Defiance and was a brilliant character there. Really great actor. And that was kind of I didn't realize it was him. So this was like one of his earlier roles, and I thought it's kind of neat to go back and watch after seeing them in other things. Yeah, and based on the the Alan Moore comic book, a little bit like it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I never read the. I never, actually never read the Alan Moore stuff. So. I've I flipped through it. Um, not a huge fan of his, but it, it's the look. There's mm-hmm. something about that steampunk look. Like I think this movie would have an audience now. I think yeah. this movie was too soon. Mm-hmm. Steampunk is huge right now. And I, I, if this came out, you'd have people just dressing up, even if they knew nothing of the comic book. They're like steampunk. I'm going. Yeah. And it would they would it would work. And I just have so much fun with this movie, even though it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's bad. It's so bad that I think even like uh, Sean Connery has actually stated publicly that he regrets doing it. I, I mean, and when Sean Connery regrets doing a role, have you yeah. seen some of the stuff he's done? Right, he's kind of taken on. Have you anything. seen Zardoz? <laughs> I haven't. I don't think he's ever said he's regretted Zardoz. <laughs> Maybe he's trying to hope that people don't remember that one. But this no chance. I liked his character. I liked his. He brought yeah. a seriousness to it. He brought a respectability to it, and you could kind of see it on the other actors that they were sort of playing it kind of like him, of like. We're we're gonna take this like it, it looks ridiculous. What we're doing is kind of dumb, but let's play it like this is real life. Right, and they played up to Sean Connery. Yeah, kind of thing, huh? and I love the whole idea that you know it, it's all of those, and this goes to Alan Moore, but it's all of those different characters in literature. It's mm-hmm. Alan Quartermain. It's um, Tom Sawyer. You've got Nina Harker. Yes, you've got the Invisible Man. You've got Jekyll and Hyde. You've got Captain Nemo. And who are they fighting? James Moriarty. Like, that's so good. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of my love comes from is just the visual. It's one of those movies I could probably watch with the sound off and still enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks good. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, you know, structurally and, and with the script, it's it's pretty sound. Like, the Avengers kind of did the same damn thing. Yeah. Like, you know, you've yeah, got Jekyll your... and Hyde, the Hulk. Right, Whoa, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At first he rampages and destroys everything, but then he's on their side. Mm-hmm. And it's about, you know, like they don't get along, they do everything wrong, and then they come together and they save the day. Like, it, structurally, the Avengers is the exact same movie. It just looks better and it's, it's you know, better actors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I had a... I didn't know if that would make your list or not. I know we have mentioned it before, but yeah, it absolutely was on my list. It, probably, if it weren't for my love for The Phantom, it would have been the top of my list. <laughs> if I had to actually pick a number one, that might have been it. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and jump down. What was my next one here? So, since we talked about Leave McSternan, gentlemen, this is one, this is a little bit more recent, uh, two, from 2009. I love this film. One of the few sci-fi originals that I truly just absolutely enjoy, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Debbie Gibson headlines the cast. Lorenzo Lamas appears. 
and it and it's just it is just what the title says. It's about a giant shark battling a giant octopus. What more do you need and to know? <laughs> Debbie and 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 Debbie Gibson is a marine biologist who has to with her with another with a team help find a way to stop these beasts from destroying things. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, there is a a giant shark pulling a a uh, passenger jet out of the air, <laughs> uh, taking a bite out of the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, it's fairly bad CGI, and you know, to get more than one shot, they just flip the frame on a few uh, instances. <laughs> There's horrible, horrible dialogue. The uh, romance dialogue is literally down to Debbie Gibson saying why she loves the sea. And the guy going, me too. And that's enough to, for them to fall in love. <laughs> Deep. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so much fun. I, the sequels I haven't cared for. I've watched a couple of the sequels, and nah, they, don't, they don't do it for me. But the 2009, love it. Was this in theaters, or was this a sci-fi movie? It was just a sci-fi original, just okay. on television. It was just one of these ones where most of them, most of the sci-fi originals, I can take or leave. I haven't even watched any in ages i i assuming they still produce them i have passed on the last the uh, two or three sharknados or whatever but this one was just i don't know why right spot right people right amount of ridiculousness if that's a word <laughs> is ridiculousness a word i absolutely love it i just i enjoy it to no end yeah and i i think that's their goal is like they, they just keep thinking what let's just make the worst thing we can think of but that's why you like it and you know, Sharknado falls into that. Everything they make falls into that. For me, I and this isn't to criticize your list, but for me, like I have to pass on those movies for that reason. It, they're bad by design. That's the mm. intention, and that's why you like them. Um, they didn't used to do things like that. They used to just they tried to make serious sci-fi movies, and they were bad, and they embraced it. And, yeah. Um, but well, that's see, part of the fun. I think this one still falls in that older what you were saying, where they're actually. Uh, per- Production were, they were company trying. was actually trying to make. They knew they were okay. going to make, you know, the big budget. They didn't have the budget for the the huge film or whatever. And I think they know there was obviously going to be a little bit of humor injected, and there was going to be a sort of okay, don't take this too seriously. But it wasn't the okay, let's throw everything but the kitchen sink. You know what? Throw the kitchen sink. Yeah, <laughs> which is the mentality that you're right. I think they have now. So and this predates that. That I think okay. I think this film predates that and is probably. One of the ones that people mistake for that, but it falls outside of that. After this film, yeah, they started doing Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, or Mecha Shark versus Giant Octopus. That's when they that, it starts getting ridiculous. Okay. They start just throwing stuff at it, and then they, yeah, the Sharktopus and <laughs> Sharknado, and it, that I I I don't have any place for it. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, but, this okay. one predates that. I think great. I'll have to watch that then. <laughs> <laughs> I can loan you, loan you the DVD. You have it on DVD? Oh, yeah. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I don't think I actually own any of these movies. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it, though. So next on my list, I switch over to horror a little bit. Great. 2001's 13 Ghosts. 
I represent the estate of your Uncle Cyrus. We have an Uncle Cyrus? Cyrus recorded this message six weeks ago. He asked it to be played for you in the event of his death. I've instructed my lawyer to deliver my last will and testament. A key? A key to what? A key to your new house. This house, it is a one-of-a-kind home. Arthur, we've got some papers to sign in the library. After that, I would love to take you and the family around on a tour of the house. This place is awesome! Now I know I'm dreaming. Well, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. What the hell was that? For these six people... They're wasting your time. It's all sealed up. The only thing worse being trapped in a house with a ghost. This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine powered by the dead. He's being trapped in a house with 13 ghosts. We got company! And this was when mm, they were starting okay. to put numbers inside the word. So it's T-H-I-R-1-3-E-N <laughs> ghosts. Starring the master of horror Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, when I think of horror, yeah. <laughs> I think of Monk. <laughs> um, and then it's a bunch of actors who you would recognize but not necessarily know their names. You have uh, Embeth Davids. You have Matthew Lillard, who you probably would recognize from, like, Scream. Scooby-Doo. Yes, Scooby-Doo. Um, do you know this movie? I watched it once. Yeah. It's one of those things that I caught on HBO and they would just you know show their movies over and over again and I couldn't stop watching it. I think it got worse every time and better every time for me. And the premise is that there is this uh, rich collector of unique things who dies and he leaves his nephew, who's Tony Shalhoub, everything he possesses, including his house, his fortune, and his malicious collection of ghosts. And so it's this house that's, like, made almost entirely out of glass, but there's all of this, like, old writing on it, and it turns out the glass is, like, the cage, and you can't see the ghosts unless you put on these special enchanted glasses, and they're all very violent. And so the dad, who's, like... um a recent widower. He moves in with his kids, but they're just moving in to see it, not necessarily live in it. And it turns out there are these ghosts inside that want to kill them. And the house moves like, you know, it's on like a clock kind of mechanism. So the walls tend to shift. So if you don't get out of a certain room at a certain time, that ghost will kill you. And you're all just sitting there thinking like, why is this happening? <laughs> what, what What is the reason? Eventually the reason is kind of given to you and you find out that the uncle isn't dead he faked his death because he needed tony shalhoub to be there for reasons he needed the 13th ghost to open the portal or do something yeah he wanted to like open the underworld for because you know that's a good thing to do nothing bad happens and as you would guess the the guy dies the dad and his kids live and the movie just sort of ends the ghosts walk away even the you know the all the evil ghosts they just literally just walk off and, uh, Remember the ghosts being fairly creative. Yeah, they all had like they they were all kind of like based on like kind of like different vices and whatnot, and they were all like these menacing, creepy, like you know they were gruesome. They kind of looked like they walked out of like Hellraiser a little bit, but with more of like a late '90s look to them. Uh, you know, like one had like I think was like all torn up. There was one mm-hmm. who was like this witch, so she was really fast and she'd claw you to death. And yeah, they're just pretty creative looking but ultimately a weak plot and very little acting it was mostly just ah 
Well, 13 Ghosts the, was an actual, was inspired, I don't know if you'd call it a remake, but it was inspired from a 1960 <laughs> yeah. film, a uh, William Castle film. And I do kind of like that you couldn't see these ghosts unless you put on your, especially unless you put on the special goggles, because that was the William Castle gimmick in the theaters, is you wouldn't be able to see these ghosts unless you put on these glasses. You couldn't see the ghosts in the film unless you donned the ghost viewing spectacles. Interesting. Yeah, and if you got too scared, quote unquote, you, you could take, take them off and then not see the ghosts. But the ghosts were all harmless in a 1960 film. You know, there's like a, a lion, or maybe it was a person, or whatever. But it was all fairly harmless. But it was a great gimmick, and the film wasn't scary, really. Certainly not by today's standards, and certainly not by not a not a gore horror fest like 13 Ghosts, uh, the modern. 13 goes. What year did you say that was? 2001. 2001. You could see this movie was an absolute product of its time of like that late 90s into the early 2000s. You know, it just had a lot of loud music, gore, no plot. Like it, it was one of those like, you know, movies that was trying to like piggyback off of Scream as like, you know, was the horror genre kind of got revamped right. in the mid 90s, but it had none of the harder substance. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I remember watching it once, and the impression that I left with, and it's all I can really remember, is just thinking, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> at the very at the at the end, that once it becomes clear what has what's happening, like, but like what you what you just said, why? Yeah. <laughs> why is this? But I don't know. I think it's what you said. It's the look of the house. It's the look of the ghosts. Again, it's one of those movies where the set is the star, mm-hmm. and I like that. And that's what kind of pulled me in. And I just would watch it over and over again going, this plot's stupid, but it's pretty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, you're watching it over. I'm missing something. There's got to right. be something here. There's a hidden meaning. <laughs> All right. Well, my next one might surprise a few people. It may surprise Matt here. You know, I have not talked really any, uh, with us anyway, any Godzilla. But believe it or not, I have a Godzilla film on my list. 1973 Godzilla versus Megalon. Okay. It is at the height of the, um, you know, Godzilla's are the world's savior kind of thing. It's probably when, you know, the budget started getting cut. You know, Toho liked kicking out the Godzilla films because it made money, but let's see if we can knock the budget down a little bit and make more money kind of sure. thing. Sure. Uh, this one also uh, suffers from, you know, there was a contest to design a monster to either fight or for to help Godzilla fight another monster. And so we ended up with a sort of um, an ultra, if Ultraman and Jack Nicholson had a love child, you had this weird robot called Jet Jaguar. Wow. (laughs) Trying to picture that. (laughs) It's something to Google. Um, There is a lot of stock footage from past films used. And maybe it's one of these things where, if you don't watch Godzilla films on DVD over and over again, maybe you wouldn't notice. But these are actually so. Actually, on a couple of these, you probably would because there's a scene or two where you know a monster will fall at the feet of another monster, and you see a third monster in the background that's not in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> yeah. uh, the whole thing revolves around the uh, undersea nation of Seatopia, who decides to wage war on the uh, the the surface dwellers, and they send a giant hopping cockroach beetle thing called Megalon to do their dirty work. 
and um, Godzilla has to uh, try to defeat them. And the oh, and yes, the Seatopians uh, recognize Jet Jaguar as being who is designed by like a toy manufacturer, a guy that builds toys. He builds this robot, but they decide they're going to use this robot to help Megalon destroy the planet. And um, yeah. Um, I'm having a hard time describing it, and that's kind of one of the reasons why this thing, this film made my list. Sure, because <laughs> it sounds you're looking at me like this sounds what? I'm trying to wait for it. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It yeah. is the probably it's just probably one of the worst Godzilla films, but I love it anyway because of all those things. Because again, it's just like one of these other things. It's just so ridiculous. Can't help it, yeah. you know. Um, I'll go ahead and spoil that there is actually another Godzilla film on in my uh, honorable mention, which is actually the film that pre the the pre, the film that predates this one, which is Godzilla versus Gigan, which is about a bunch of space cockroaches that are trying to take over the planet. And uh, and if you watch the English dub version, you actually hear Godzilla and one of his monster friends talk to each other. Oh, and he sounds like an old Jewish man to me. So that's weird. That's fun. <laughs> and the earth is saved with the help of Godzilla and a cartoonist, his sister and, um, a couple hippies and the, the scientist brother. Hey, why not? <laughs> the world's going to be saved. Who are we to judge who, who saves it? <laughs> but those two films, and I think these were two of the films that just got probably the most airplay on television. So there might be just a little bit of, me growing up as a kid, these are the films, the Godzilla films that I probably saw the most on television and probably kind of started my love for Godzilla. Just watch it till you like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Godzilla versus Megalon would, would actually made the list because it's just, it's not a good film, but it's, I enjoy watching it just the same. So my next move, my, my genres for uh, the movies that I like, they kind of bounce all over the place. Um, this is 1994's The Chase, which I think was also a remake. With, uh, what's his name? Charlie uh, Sheen. Charlie Sheen, yes. yes. Who was Charlie the... Sheen and Christy Swanson. It was Christy Swanson. I was yes. going to say, Christy Swanson makes the list again there. Yes. Um, <laughs> this premise is so dumb. Basically, he's a wrongly convicted felon who is just trying to get to Mexico because he, you know, he, he was supposed to like go have his sentencing. Instead, he ran, and he's—I th think he's like in California—and he's just trying to make it to Mexico so he can get away. And he reluctantly takes um, this woman hostage, who is the daughter of like one of the most like powerful men in like Los Angeles. And it's it's this total Stockholm Syndrome movie, but they don't play it like it is, where, you know, she starts to empathize with him and she starts to believe that he's innocent. And he is. Mm -hmm. They like definitively say that, but nobody else cares. And so it's the most of the movie is the two of them in the car with the LAPD chasing them down the interstate and all of the weird things that go on. It, it absolutely happened because of OJ, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> There's, oh, there is a very OJ-like... <laughs> yeah, because they, they show like the that. news media, they show how everyone's reacting, they, they keep showing like the helicopter shots of this car getting away. This was absolutely done because of OJ. 
um, somebody came along and said, how can we do that as a movie with Charlie Sheen? <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's so like, they're like, there are these like, uh, militia, like these like crazy militia guys who decide to take him off the road in like their, their monster truck at one point And his, he accident, Charlie Sheen accidentally fires his gun, causing a cop car's tire to blow out and flip and take everything out. And the guy who's in the helicopter for the news is like i'm guessing this guy's an expert marksman and like they're making up the narrative and like he's he can hear like somebody's listening on the radio and they're like jack what are you doing like (laughs) you're making it worse stop running and there's so many scenes that are bizarre like there there is a makeout scene in the car that's still barreling down the highway uh, while the sun is setting and I'm like this is supposed to be romantic <laughs> like you see Charlie Sheen like kissing her but still trying to steer the car and keep his eyes open and the car starts swerving back and forth and they're like why is he swerving is this strategy and it's like oh my god this is so <laughs> dumb and it even has a scene at the end where he goes to give himself up and he gets out of the car and he's smoking a cigarette and he holds up just his empty hand like a gun and then all of the cops start shooting at him and they kill him and you realize this is like a three and a half minute daydream mm-hmm. and it cuts back to him in the car going like why would i do that and he just gets <laughs> out and gives himself up but then she fully on his side picks up a gun gets a guy with a camera hostage she rescues him and they make it safely to mexico and live the rest of their lives i did not remember the end of the film yeah that's the end of the film okay. it's, it's as stupid as the rest of the film yeah. <laughs> it i don't know why i think because there's like henry rollins is in this movie there's so many different people who should not be in a movie in this movie and it's just this ensemble that's a mess and i think i like it for that reason it's just a a total cluster of of chaos that works for me that shouldn't work for any human being that likes movies excellent Uh, it's been a long time so that's another one where i probably saw it when it First came somewhere, saw it once, never never looked back. <laughs> like most of society. The scene I remember is the uh, the makeout scene in the moving car mm-hmm. and the the fake death. Yeah. Those are the two things I remember from the film. Uh, everything else is a blur. Blur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he kidnaps her with a candy bar and like that was like the tagline in, in, in like the trailer. You kidnap me with a candy bar. <laughs> uh-huh. Might have to go revisit that one. Yeah, if you <laughs> want to see... Sheen. Go Charlie Sheen before he goes Charlie Sheen. Real crazy. Yeah. yeah, this was like at the tail end of him like doing his action movies. And mm-hmm. like, I-, I guess because they thought like, you know, Hot Shots is funny and it's got some good action, but this is not Hot Shots like at all. It's no. not funny and the action's pretty bad. <laughs> all right, next thing on my list. Yeah, I'm kind of jumping a genre a little bit, a little bit. Well, okay, maybe staying in the in the in the genre, but I'm I'm jumping nations. There's an Italian spy film from 1967. I discovered this film originally on Mystery Science Theater. Eventually, I went and found it unmistied. Still, absolutely love it. <laughs> Danger, Death Ray. I don't know that one. Secret Agent Bart Fargo. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> Has to, uh, played by Gordon Scott. Gordon Scott was an actor who uh, did a lot of Tarzan. He was uh, one of the t- uh, early Tarzans, hmm. actually. Um, and he also did a lot of like you know, Hercules, the sword and sandal kind of films and stuff like that. Well, Gordon Scott plays Bart Fargo, the secret agent, who is ch- chasing after to find the, um, the kidnappers of a scientist who have invented the, uh, 
the death ray, which, of course, he hoped would be used for peaceful purposes. Okay. <laughs> okay. It was made at the time when, you know, of course, the Bond films were really popular. 1967, so you got yeah. just spy films in, in general. And the Italians just, if you want to do a low-budget spy film, give it to the Italian film <laughs> industry. That's pretty true. There is horrible low-budget special effects in this. Uh, there are literally toys in a tub to do, like, submarine and helicopter. Boy. <laughs> it worked for the Poseidon Adventure. Car, cars <laughs> off a cliff. But everything else, I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful scenery. Uh, you got a you know a handsome leading man who meets beautiful women, and there's action and there's a you know a death ray and there's gunfights, and it's just <laughs> it's just so. It probably finding it on MST probably helped because I'm actually watching the unmistied one, and I can hear some sometimes I hear the lines in my head, but even even when I kind of turn them off, I, I still enjoy this film just because of. Everything I mentioned. Yeah. Beautiful, corny, all in one. Over the top. Over the top. Yep. Bart Fargo. Bart Fargo. Like you said, you had me at Bart Fargo. Yes. <laughs> That's like Zap Rosdauer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I hear like those names, I'm thinking like, okay, whoever wrote this script wrote it when they were twelve and said, I'm not budging on the name. <laughs> I have dreamed this for twenty years. Like, okay. My last movie. I know you've heard of. I feel almost everybody's heard of this movie. Most people either haven't seen it or have forgotten the, the details about it. I have loved this movie since I first saw it, and I know it's bad, but I won't give it up, and it's Howard the Duck. Across the sea of stars lies another world, a world almost exactly like ours. This is where he lives. He's 27 years old, single but searching. Favorite sports, windsurfing and Aikido. Favorite pastimes, cigars and sex. He has everything except fulfillment. And then one night, it happens. Hey, good buddy, are you home? He has a very sudden midlife crisis. He lands in Cleveland. You do know why you were sent to me? Listen to me, small visitor. I can explain how you got here. Maybe you're here for some greater purpose, some cosmic cause. Here, he's forced to reassess his career goals. You went to med school? To explore new relationships. <laughs> to redefine his self-image. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. To adjust to a changing lifestyle. Oh, I pull it up! Until he discovers just who he really is. Oh, no. A duck in big trouble. That's a duck, man. Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made. <laughs> I will never give that movie up. I love <laughs> Howard the Duck. I I am border on the line of saying, no, it's actually a good movie and everybody's wrong. But that's not true. I would be lying. It's a bad movie and I enjoy everything about it. Um, even when it gets weird and creepy. 
I still enjoy it. Woman on duck. Uh, yeah, or scene. right at the beginning when he's going by and that one female duck is in is in the bathtub and you just see her duck breasts and you're just sort of like, what is this? <laughs> I'm on board. I don't care. I don't care. Something about this thing works for me from start to finish and I enjoy every last part of it. I mean, the the dialogue is terrible. The plot is weak. Um, but I don't know. Put Leia Thompson in a movie and I'm on board. I, I can't fault you. That. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, you've got you've got um, Tim Robbins who's playing like the 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 crazy scientist with his hair up in the air. You've got Jeffrey Jones doing what he does best and just playing a creepy guy in the 80s. Um, and then you've got Howard the Duck, who is just this ridiculous, you know, someone said, let's put a person inside a puppet costume. And it, it doesn't look good, and yet I, I enjoy it. So many of the films that are on your list, I, I know the films, but they're all films that I've watched One once. time. Yeah, exactly. And no more, um, no more about it only because of... Most people's dislike, yeah, <laughs> like Howard the Duck, and Howard that's kind of like the joke. It's the uh, Jar Jar Binks of, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I mean Marvel might even bring Howard the Duck back. <laughs> he was in the uh, the post credit uh, for, for Guardians for Guardians, uh-huh. yeah. who yeah. was uh, voiced by Seth Green, I believe. Was it? Pretty sure. But yeah, no, I like that movie. I, George Lucas produced, right? I want to say yes. I think yeah. he was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg might have even been involved. But yeah, I like that movie. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> well, I don't think you're alone. Like I said, I've only saw it once. So I can't really say whether I you know, will, will support you or not. It's fine. But, um, but there, I know there are a lot of people that do enjoy it just because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And then you you got things like the the alien comes from the other dimension and it takes over like Jeffrey Jones's character's body and I'm sitting there going like Men in Black does that later like mm-hmm. come on oh there inspired films to come well I've uh, that pretty much moves us into my honorable mentions yeah since a uh, legal story extraordinary gentleman was on both of our lists uh, I mentioned Godzilla versus Gigan already another one and again this is one where. Probably the way I watched it has a lot to do with it. I got a chance to watch it with a group of friends, uh, you know, when I was out at a, at a convention in Denver, and we all got together in one guy's hotel room and watched this movie. Honestly, it's probably on a great many people's lists. It's 2003's The Room. Yes, I was going to talk about that. It's not on my honorable mention, but I, I've been talking to people, and a lot of people brought that up. Yes. It is just it's a bad movie. I don't care. Tommy Wiseau tries to pretend that, oh, he meant for it to be that bad. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was trying to make a serious film, and it's awful. Did you see the trailer for The Disaster Artist? I know you don't want to see it because of Seth Rogen, but did you watch the trailer? I did. When you see that, you can understand how that movie got made mm. and why he thinks it's good. Because, you know, it took takes him all day to get one scene done. And when it finally happens, everyone's cheering and applauding. He thinks he's great. It's like, no, <laughs> we can finally go home because this should have taken two minutes and you took six hours. Well, I wonder how much. I don't believe that any... I don't believe that that movie was shot with anything other than one or two takes at any one time. No, supposedly a lot of his scenes took a while because he couldn't remember his lines. Hmm. All right. And that's why he went (laughs) way over budget for for those kinds of reasons. 
But yeah, I saw it with a bunch of friends, and it is just a god awful film. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. So anyway, how's your sex life? Yeah. <laughs> hi, doggy. <laughs> hi, doggy. Yeah, I, he's turned this bad film into this cash cow form. He tours and does the uh, screenings. He's been able to spin it into um, intentionally bad uh, short-lived series. And then I don't know what I don't know if he's involved at all with this uh, with the the Seth Rogen uh, what you were talking about the, this this film I don't know if he had to James s- Franco yeah, yeah James I don't know if he had to sign off on it I don't know if he's getting a check for it or not well it's based on the guy who played Mark wrote a book about it and so it's based on that book okay so probably not well maybe they have to give him a little bit because it's supposed to be him maybe <laughs> i know he he has seen it and he said there's only like one really brief part in the beginning that has to do with like the lighting or something and he's like other than that it's great and i'm like well, mm, no, you can't really take your opinion for it because you don't know what a good movie is <laughs> <laughs> another uh honorable mention for me uh from 1993 i don't know how i saw this film it might have been just because i was on a a kick i was trying to find other michelle yo films and I found 1993's The Heroic Trio. I don't know that movie. Chinese action film, uh, The Heroic Trio. It's kind of like a Chinese martial arts superhero film. A character named Wonder Woman. Don't know how they got that by DC. Huh. Maybe they <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you film in China. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thief Catcher and Invisible Woman. Where the are the three women? And there's three women. They each have their own lives, and they there's a. It's been well, actually been a while since I've watched it, and there are some serious problems with the film. You know, the plot. You kind of no matter whether you watch the English or the uh, the subtitle, there are times where you're like, wait a minute. So when did that happen? You know, there's some serious little plot holes. So as a story, it has some issues. As an action film. I think it's great. I mean, some really good martial arts. Um, it can be a little dark, uh, especially if, if you're not, uh, uh, if you're uncomfortable with uh, violence on children, not a film for you. There is at least one uh, sequence in there that is going to disturb you. Okay. <laughs> there is a lot of kind of like, well, I guess it's fairly typical of a lot of martial arts films where you got your main baddie and he's doing something awful, but you never really find out why he's doing this. Didn't matter, you know. Still have to stop them. <laughs> whatever, whatever works. Yeah, and one of the characters is actually apparently used to work for this evil you know, entity, this evil spirit. But now she doesn't. But you don't know why she doesn't or how that happened. It just that's just thrown in there. So yeah, it has some flaws, but still, it's one of those films that it's it's you know where they kind of I think wrap around a story. They get an idea of like, oh, we could do this really one cool thing, you know, move with this character, and then they wrap a story around it <laughs> yeah <laughs> just to get that one scene yeah seen a lot of those <laughs> mm-hmm. there was an actual a sequel to it called the uh, executioners which stars the same three women and the same three characters but it for some reason where this takes place in some weird sort of alternate reality uh, where kind of this art deco reality or something the sequel takes place in like a post-apocalyptic uh, landscape no idea why. <laughs> just cause. So the executioners, maybe it should be they. They should be on there together. <laughs> the group trio and the executioners together is a like back to back. 
but yeah, that's on there. I don't, I'd be curious if anyone else has, has seen it. Yeah, like I said, I think it was probably just because I was a bit. Of, um, I am a Michelle Yeoh fan, um, so anytime she shows up, I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> last thing, last film I wanted to mention: Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow from two thousand four. I haven't seen that. Um, really? I, no, no, not yeah. I, I kind of want to. It looks interesting i sense a future episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would be willing to watch that yeah um it was one of those things i was like oh that looks something like something i would enjoy and then i just didn't get to it definitely it's an homage to the 1940s serials uh there's some homages to the uh is it uh max fleischer and the uh his old the superman cartoons that were produced uh back in the 30s or 40s and it's all done it's one of the first films done effectively with green screen mm. i mean before the star wars prequels uh this was doing you know 2004 the uh this film did it i think first whether or not it's effective i think you know i honestly think it does i think it works for the story that they're telling for the type of story that they're telling it is a serial in movie form yeah and you know, the, so it's all done, and everything's like very 1930s, 1940s, and but it's got you know outrageous sci-fi plot kind of thing. I I enjoy it, I, and for what it is, I'm, and I'm not a big, I'm a practical effects kind of person, but the, for some reason, this one with the green screen, I just eat it up. I think it was like, okay, if you're going to do green screen, this is how you do it, or this is why you do it. If, when you're creating a world that you literally doesn't exist you can't exist do it like this so i guess i really can't bash lucas and the prequels because i guess it's kind of the same thing yeah <laughs> what do you mean you can't make that big castle that doesn't exist anywhere except in my head <laughs> yeah okay so that those are your honorable yeah that's all i had and i'm sure it's kind of one of these things that i those are the when i made this list that's the ones that came to mind and i'm sure there are going to be <laughs> if you ask me tomorrow i'd probably come up with something else all right, I have a little bit of a longer one. I'll okay. try to go through it quick. Um, 1995's Waterworld. Waterworld, Water really? World. I don't know what it is, but I, I, th- I think the theme to a lot of my movies that make this list are, I like the look. I lo- mm-hmm. I like the look of Waterworld. Yeah, they spent all the money in the world to make this movie that shouldn't have been made. And it's just... It's Kevin Costner kind of phoning it in, <laughs> or maybe that was just how he thought the character should be. It's um, Dennis Hopper at mm-hmm. his worst villain ever, and it's this sort of basic, boring kind of plot, but it's just it's a spectacle, and I liked how it all looked, and the, the action was over the top, but you know the way they were all just in rags, and the giant ships, and the converted jet skis, and I, I got pulled into all that. I don't think I've ever seen Waterworld all the way through. Really? I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's long. Yeah, and I knew that. I knew that it might be why I never bothered to watch it. From what I gather from the way people talk, I would probably put that next to The Postman, and that's a film that I actually enjoy. I liked The Postman, and okay. that, that one gets a lot of the same hate that Waterworld gets. So yeah. I have a feeling Waterworld would be a little bit like that. Yeah, probably. Uh, staying on the Kevin Costner train, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. I've not seen that one at all. Yeah, so <laughs> just this idea sounds terrible. It's it's in Las Vegas. It's this big Elvis impersonator convention going on, and there's like five or six guys who are 
dressed up as Elvis and they intend to rob a bank. And then it's like, well, what did the guy look like? Elvis. Elvis. What does everyone in Vegas look like right now? Elvis. Elvis. And you've got Kevin Costner and you've got Kurt Russell. And everyone else in the crew dies because they start to turn on each other except these two. And you got Kurt Russell who gets the money and he teams up with Courtney Cox's character who's like running a, a cheap motel somewhere and her son and they decide to run for it together and you got kevin costner whose character like they make mention that the reason he does the whole elvis impersonator thing is supposedly there was like an illegitimate child of elvis somewhere (laughs) and he might be him and it's like well why is that relevant to like so because you're the illegitimate child of elvis you're a sociopath murderer who wants to rob banks yeah <laughs> like why? <laughs> that, that didn't need to be there and they do it like it's this big urban myth and he might be the guy and that makes him more dangerous because he might be related to elvis yeah because elvis was known to be a badass with a gun <laughs> sure <laughs> why not <laughs> and it's it i like it i don't nice. know why. Okay. <laughs> i like that team up yeah, it is yeah. a good team up because like they when they stare each other down, you're thinking like no one's backing down, and I don't know who's going to mm-hmm. win. They're nice. kind of even in that regard. 2004's Cellular. Cellular. Chris Evans. Didn't see that one either. It was no, before, I don't remember he, if I even know about this. Before one. he became a household name, it was I think it was even before Fantastic Four. Um, it's this movie. Uh, Kim Basinger is kidnapped. And she's like thrown in the attic of some room somewhere and all she has is this broken down phone that's near her and she's able to like piece it back together and get a random phone call out because she doesn't even have access to everything. And it goes to Chris Evans character who's just sort of like this dude bro who's in his car and at first he doesn't believe this woman and then he starts to. But she doesn't know where she is. So he's driving around trying to figure out where she is based on like things that she can barely see out the window and things that she can hear. And it just becomes this whole idea of the script was like, well, what are all the problems with cell phones in 2004 that mm-hmm. could happen to this character? So it's like, oh, no, my battery's dying. Oh, no, I'm getting cross signals with another phone. There's like right. actually a part where like his phone's dying, but he accidentally picks up the call of some other guy. Because the lines got crossed because, you know, cell, ooh, cell phone towers, you know, weren't perfect back then. Right. And so he steals that guy's phone because that's how he's able to keep talking to Kim Basinger. Nice. Okay. And, like, he's stealing cars and he's like, you know, the cops are after him. Even though he's trying to save this woman, no one believes him that he's on the phone with some, like, famous woman that got kidnapped. And it's it's ridiculous. But there's something about, like, these certain, like, action parts where he's, like, driving in the phone and he's got her on speaker and he's trying not to lose her call. And, like, he's driving forward and he's like, I'm going to be right there. I just have to go through the tunnel. And he slams on his brake because he knows if he loses the call, he won't be able to talk to her anymore. Right. And I... I think that part, that part gets me. He's like the tunnel and he slams on the brakes. Traffic is now backed up and he's got to go in reverse on like the LA freeway. (laughs) That's interesting. And that's definitely, yeah, a film of its time. Early days of cell phones. You know, there wasn't, Mm -hmm. wasn't the, the GPS Google map kind of stuff that you have now. You Uh, couldn't have done it 10 years before. You can't do it 10 years later. Yeah, that is absolute product of its time. Ooh, uh, ironically, a singular, uh, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, I'll give you that one. <laughs> pretty younger listener, singular used to be a cell phone carrier around 2004. I think yeah. actually. Um, next one, 1999's Deep Blue Sea. 
Deep Blue Sea, Deep Blue Sea. Samuel Jackson. The shark movie? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few shark movies around that time, so I'm, I think I have the right one. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson definitely helps. Thomas Jane. LL Cool J. Yeah, okay. Anytime you have a movie that's got LL Cool J in it for more than 10 seconds, you've like got the, a winner. Is that like the, 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 the scientist on the old oil derrick kind of thing? Yes. Doing uh, genetic experiments with sharks and makes like brainy sharks? Yeah, they're trying to like uh, cure Alzheimer's. And but as a result, they like ended up making the sharks just as intelligent as people. So mm-hmm. the sharks were okay. able to like pr- figure out their escape and you know trap them. Yeah, and I stuff. saw it once. I saw it once. I didn't see it in the theater or anything. Sure, I saw that on TV or a DVD. I think why I like it so much is there's this great scene where you know they're aware that the sharks are after them. Half the half the oil Derek is like you know come tumbling down around them and. Samuel Jackson's character decides to rally everybody and he's giving this speech and he's like, I know what to do first. And all of a sudden the shark pops out of the water, grabs him, eats him. He's gone. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Okay, I remember that now. And you sit there and you're just sort of like, uh, what <laughs> happened? Like, this is the scene where like everything's supposed to change. Instead, this movie decided to r- literally rip that away from you. And it's, something movies don't do like it is a great moment in an otherwise terrible movie and like this movie actually was like on Mythbusters because there's a part where they blow the shark up a la Jaws but they Mm -hmm. try to do it even bigger and better and uh, Thomas Jane's character is on the shark trying to like get the dynamite on it and then the shark breaks through the underwater fence and he holds onto the fence and the shark swims a certain distance away and they blow it up and Mythbusters was like would you survive being yeah. under the water with the that shock explosion? Wave, yeah. You wouldn't. No. <laughs> but you would in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, I remember that one that there was a lot of um undersea monstery disaster films around that time. A couple yeah. of few different shark movies, everything. So there you go. They're they're my mega shark versus giant octopus, but with a budget. That's you know, <laughs> yeah. <deep blue> sea. <laughs> yeah, Lake Placid I think came out around oh, then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um I like Lake Placid. I like actually. Lake Placid. I actually think that's a good movie. That is actually a decent movie. Yeah. yeah it's that's... just it's just trying to be Jaws with an mm-hmm. alligator. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, uh just weird movie. The, the other part that I like is it's it's the end of the movie. The shark's been blown up. The only two left alive are Thomas Jane and LL Cool J. They're like lying on just what little is left of this place. They're on a raft. And LL Cool J is completely lied out on it. And Thomas Jane just got back up on it. And his feet are still in the water. And Cool J goes like, there were just three sharks, right? Yeah. And we got them all? Yeah. They look at each other, and then Thomas Jane pulls his feet out of the water. <laughs> that's better. <laughs> like it ends on that note. I'm like, that's not bad. That's pretty funny. That's good. Yeah, I've been a long time since I've seen that one too. But that, that that's fun. Yeah, that, that's one I remember. Actually, I don't know. I think I actually remember watching and kind of enjoying it. So, and uh, next movie, the perfect example of when you shouldn't make a sequel because the first movie's pretty good. Mm, you know, we haven't. There really hasn't been any sequels on our list yet. This one is Speed to Cruise oh, Control, my God. <laughs> 1997. Really? <laughs> because Willem yeah. Dafoe <laughs> is at his most Willem Dafoe. He's so over the top. He's so insane. You could see how he took that into Spider-Man, but realized I should tone it down. 
I should actually act. No, he's just menacing and laughing and smiling and manic for like an hour and however long that movie is. And it is it pales in comparison to the first movie. But because of his over the topness, I'm just like, I want more. (laughs) Yes, B2 was okay. You take everything that made speed fun and interest and good and and remove it. And then what's left you make is what your sequel yes. is. You have Dennis Hopper in the first one who's doing a good villain, a yeah. scary villain, and kind of a sympathetic one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then we take Willem Dafoe, who's just batshit crazy. Right. And that's it. You get Keanu Reeves, who's actually acting and yeah. actually doing an action film and, you know, not being Bill. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or Ted. or No, T- Ted. He was Ted, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and... Remove him. Don't even know who that guy is. Hmm? I don't even know who that actor is. The one, the one in two. I, I couldn't. Tell I can't you his think name. of his name now. No. I have his face, but I don't think yeah. I've seen him in anything else. Now he was one of these. Um, I think actors at the time where he was going to be the it actor, the action you know guy or whatever, and it didn't happen. You could see how maybe they were because of Speed Two, probably. <laughs> but I let's have to keep... look it up because that name is on the tip of my tongue. So yeah. I want to look that up. Jason Patrick. That's it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. But they kept Sandra Bullock. Yeah. She's pretty yeah. good in it. And I think um, she only did it so in order to get uh, a movie that she wanted to make produced. Oh. Uh, she wanted, uh, I think Hope Floats was the film that she wanted to produce after that. And the studio said, you do Speed 2, we'll give you the money to do your film. All right. And then also in 1997, Anaconda. <laughs> That's one of those movies that when you mention it, people have an opinion. Yeah. Um, ridiculous. Well, honestly, you know what? You're talking about the sci-fi originals. It's a sci-fi original. It is. With a little bit of a budget. Right. It's got a little bit more budget. It's got some bigger stars. Mm-hmm. But it's the same premise yes. that the early, not the current right. sci-fi originals, the pre-09, you know, 04, whatever it was, sci-fi originals had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And John and Boy- it, it, if you look at it as that. Yeah, it's great. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why I like it so much. Mm-hmm. And John Voight is just beyond ridiculously, terribly yeah. over the top. It's one of those movies where they just started like picking names, and they're like, "It's gotta work, right?" Yeah. No, it doesn't work. Nineteen ninety nine's Wild Wild West. Uh, I can't. I can't. No, no can't not with me on that one. That. Not at all. <laughs> you can't come with me on that. Not one. at all. Will no. Smith and Kevin Klein. No. No. Sorry. I love Kevin Klein. I really do. I think he's, you know, he's actually, he's in one of my favorite Westerns. That's actually, I mean, that's one that could have actually made the list. I didn't even think about Silverado. Oh, okay. Did you ever see Silverado? Mm-mm. It was a Western made when, it was kind of one of these things like, you're making a Western? <laughs> yeah. Because no Westerns were being made. This was before Unforgiven and right. anything like that. He's in there. He's a great character. He's like the gambling gunslinger kind of thing. So he's always cool and calm and collected. Love him in that. Where was I talking? Oh, Wild West. I, can I? Can I? Let's talk about Silverado. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't with you. I, I, I'm not with you on that. I used to watch the, the uh, television series uh-huh. that it was, you know, based on. Yeah. And that is campy and sometimes ridiculous and would probably be considered a, a guilty pleasure or whatever for a lot of people. This film, 
can't go with it. I just didn't. It it didn't work for me. I think it's that steampunk look again. It's that true. I like. Yeah. Um, and granted, a lot of it might be too because I watched the series, and so if you're going to say, "Oh, we're going to make a film based on the series," it needs to resemble the series for me. And while all the elements were there, they just went too far astray, and it just didn't work. Sure. Yeah, I I just like the dynamic between the two of them. I'd like to see them do another movie together, like a, a good movie together. Uh, there's there's something there. Kevin Klein, uh, he's like semi-retired from acting. He's not doing that much anymore, and mm-hmm. I think he's a brilliant actor. He's very underrated. Uh, he's my favorite part of that movie. He would probably be mine, too. If I had to pick a favorite part of that movie, that would that would probably be it. And my last one, and I kept this last on purpose. <laughs> okay. You're not going to agree with me, but I like it because it's 1998's Godzilla. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's well, Matthew Broderick. I like it's it been a good Matthew. year. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I like this movie because of how bad it is. I, you're shaking your head. I like Matthew Broderick in it. I like the stupid premise. I like... Um, I like that chase scene in the cab at the end. I like, uh, you know, you heard me. I want you to blow up Madison Square Garden. I, I just think it's really over the top without meaning to be campy, campy. Like they were trying to be serious and they didn't realize they weren't. Um, you've got a few actors who are in the Simpsons, like just being ridiculous New Yorkers. And I like it for that. You just know, you just know across the board. You'll give me nothing. No, hey, that that movie needed to not be Godzilla. <laughs> maybe I would go. Okay, yeah, sure. It, maybe if it was another like Anaconda, you know, a, okay. a sci-fi original type kind of thing. But they build it as Godzilla. They think they thought they were making a Godzilla film, and it's an awful Godzilla film. It's an it's American a, it's an, Godzilla. Film. It's an awful film. And it's a Godzilla film. It, it's not a Godzilla. It's a Godzilla name only film. In fact, that that beast is often referred to is is I think uh, like Gino, G I N O Godzilla in name only. Okay. <laughs> like it, there's so many things that are bad about it. Like when he's doing the pregnancy test to figure out things about Godzilla, and I'm just sort of like, who put this on a script? <laughs> Do they still work? I was so I I saw that in the theater. I mean, the big buildup, you know, there's the big Taco Bell tie-in, you yep. know, you had the cup holder uh-huh. and all that stuff. And, oh, and the beast is different, but look pretty cool. Okay, whatever. And I saw it in the theater. and so I, did I. Oh, I felt like someone shot my dog. <laughs> <laughs> there's just some lines that Matthew Broderick has that I feel only he could pull off. Like when, they, when they're trying to, like, bait Godzilla and they have the giant pile of fish, and he just goes... It's a lot of fish. I like that he could do that. He could pull it off. I am not. I have a hard time enjoying Matthew Broderick in, the, in a lot of films. Really? Yeah, I really do. I mean, it's kind of one of the things where I can watch like Ferris Bueller, and mm-hmm. it's like oh, it's all right. I, I can watch that and everything. But then he, he moves on to like uh, the the monkey movie there, Project X. I like that one too. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. He's just real mediocre for me. He is, and I like him for That's, his mediocrity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess I, I just I don't know how you carry a film on mediocre <laughs> on mediocre. I don't either, but it, it works for me every time. I can't explain it. Yeah. 
And the last two movies I'll say is these were, these were told to me by other people when I was talking oh, right. with them. Um, I forgot. We hadn't even mentioned all the yeah. ones that were mentioned. Uh, these I got through conversation. The last, so one was the room, which we talked about. Uh, the other is the Chipmunk Adventure, nineteen eighty seven's The Chipmunk Adventure, the Alvin and the Chipmunks animated movie. Interesting. Which I described as it's as though someone from Disney thought they could make a Warner Brothers movie by still, but still trying to look like Disney. The premise is pathetic. The drawings are okay, and the singing is terrible. But I've always been of the mind that Alvin and the Chipmunks has never been good. It was never good when it was just songs. It was never good as the original cartoon. It was never good as the cartoon in the 80s. It's terrible now. And this is not a pick of mine. I hate that movie. I think it's garbage and should be burned and forgotten. And then the other movie was um, She-Devil. Never saw it. I can honestly, I I can see the VHS box. I remember <laughs> seeing it like, you know, on the shelf. Never watched it. Yeah. Uh, Roseanne Barr, Ed Bagley Jr., and Meryl Streep. And it's supposed to kind of be this over-the-top comedy. I haven't seen it either, but I just figured I'd mention that. It's just over-the-top comedy about this woman trying to, like, destroy her cheating husband's life. And it's just bad CGI ridiculousness. I saw a scene of it, and I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> Well, back when Roseanne Barr was, you know, Roseanne, so she yeah. was a big hit. So we all loved her. Sure. <laughs> all right. So I put out the question, uh, and I got a actually got more responses on my personal Facebook page than I did on the actual Time Shifters group. Uh, right off the bat, we get uh, Fiona uh, Brown says that Hansel and Gretel witch hunters. I remember that, but I never seen it. Yeah, that one was. Um, it should have been more fun than it was. Mm. Uh, another one that where it's kind of like it looked pretty, yeah. but it doesn't really do much else for it. And then she says, obviously, Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, obviously. <laughs> That's one of those movies that I, 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 so I haven't seen it, but I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? It depends who you ask. There are people pretty who over the top. swear by that movie that it's good, that it's misunderstood, but it's actually a good movie. And then there's other no. people who tell me it's terrible, and I don't know where the answer is. Maybe somewhere in between. Probably. I, I don't think it's a good movie. Um, I think it's pretty over the top. Um, yeah, they needed to tone that one down a little <laughs> bit. Rob Kern pipes in with Lady Hawk. Matthew Broderick. Yep. Um, the, though he says that the, the soundtrack grates a bit now. I think that was the they had like the 80s rock ballad soundtrack, didn't it? How can you go wrong? Yeah. Well, Come on. Think. Uh, Floyd also thinks Lady Hawk as well. Not one of his favorite films, but it's – or it is one of my favorite films, and it's become a family favorite as well. Let's see. Uh, Kevin Dilmore said there was too many to count. I told him you didn't have to count them. Just name a couple. <laughs> so we came in. Uh, he said that the, the group of 70s and 80s coming-of-age movies I rewatch more for nostalgia reasons than any, like Midnight Madness, The Competition, Almost Summer, French Post, and French Postcards, to name a few. I have to admit, I don't think I've seen any of those. I don't know those. Uh, Barry Munn says, the older I get, the more movies that I like and end up on Rift Tracks or MST. Oops. It's like hearing your favorite rock song on Muzak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know you have one foot in the grave when that happens. Says, I'm not sure, even sure what a bad movie is anymore. Critics love stuff like The English Patient and David Lynch films, which I find mind-numbingly dull and incomprehensible, respectively. But I love me some Roger Corman. 
I think it all comes down to what you look for in a movie. In my humble opinion, Joe Bob Briggs used to do the best movie reviews on TNT Monster Vision. He didn't yammer on about the plot or the acting. He just told you how many monsters, breasts, and explosions were in it. <laughs> I still love the final countdown. It's what Top Gun could have been if it wasn't trying so hard to be a date movie. Obviously, the studio made the right call. The proof is in the box office receipts. But I think the final countdown has aged better. And interestingly enough, when they tried to make a World War II version of Top Gun, Pearl Harbor, it failed miserably. Lloyd Kaufman had his hand in the final countdown, too, before he went independent, so it's got B-movie street cred. You ever get the Blu-ray, which looks amazing, check out the special features. Some great and surprisingly candid behind-the-scenes stories. I think it's an underrated film. You ever seen or heard of the final countdown? Uh, heard of it, but that's all I could say. Modern... Uh, aircraft carrier encounters some weird portal, uh, an event on the on you know on the ocean, and it gets transported back to just prior to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Huh. And they have to deal with okay, do we do something to stop it? Because they're sitting there with a bunch of like F-14s, and you know these are Japanese Zeros. Yeah, <laughs> they could win pretty easily. Yeah, so it's. It's interesting. It, it 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 actually plays. It's like it's a time travel film. Um, I'm on board. Yeah, so <laughs> you should definitely look it up. Yeah, Floyd ch- chimes in that the the final countdown is a great film, much better than Top Gun. Seeing two F-14s take on two Japanese Zeros is amazing. Uh, Daniel Sample uh, chimes in with the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, The Wild Wild World of Batwoman. Wow. He said I could go on and on and on. The Wild Wild World of Bat one was one that I recognized that he, he said. Well, I, I knew Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but I didn't know the other one. But that was a weird, like, 1950s, 1960s. There's there's a reason that film was made, and it wasn't for plot or anything. It was to get women and leotards, pretty much. <laughs> and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is one of those movies that every so often I have to ask myself, did I dream that? <laughs> Because I didn't see it, but I've seen parts of it. And when yeah. you like, you're like, how is who said yes to this? Yeah. Not even studio. Just who said, yeah, I'll hold the camera for you. Who said I'll write a script for you? It's insane that that was made. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, I'm with you. I haven't seen it all the way through, like beginning to end. I've probably seen it all, but out of order and sure. just in bits and pieces. Yeah, fits and starts. Let's see, uh, John Johnson says Night of the Comet, a little classic sci-fi there. Kimberly Donahue says Overboard from 1987. I like that movie. (laughs) That's not a bad movie. That's a good movie. Steve Sullivan says he has no guilty pleasures, just pleasures. Some of them are pretty bad movies. (laughs) Manos, The Hands of Fate is obviously one, or I wouldn't have written two books based on it. He did. He did did one that was kind of a fun where it really played up the humor that can be found in the film. And the other one, he wrote it as being an actual, like, serious drama horror. It it actually was kind of interesting. Uh, Many Bert I. Gordon pictures that people diss I really love, including uh, Beginning of the End. That's the uh, giant grasshoppers. Wow. Then the effects are done with literally, like, grasshoppers on, like, toys, (laughs) on, like, postcards. What wasn't given a giant version? (laughs) Not a lot. Uh, especially if it's got Bird Eye Gordon's name on it, with his initials say it all, B-I-G. So. Oh. 
Uh, Destination Inner Space I truly love, though a lot of people seem to think it's not very good, and it's Monsters a special favorite. I want an action figure. Destination Inner Space is actually a fun one. We covered, I actually went on Monster Kid Radio along with Steve Sullivan and talked about this film. I just, I stumbled across it and watched it. It's sort of a um, Creature of the Black Lagoon knockoff, um, but it ends up being damned entertaining Hmm. uh cheap sets and everything but it's actually fairly well acted the script there was a few forced moments where you're like "Ooh, did you have to throw in the romance because it doesn't work you know Uh, that kind of stuff but yeah the the creature is just next to the creature of the black lagoon as far as an underwater monster menace or whatever probably a close second Hmm. i mean it really pulls itself pulls it pretty well let me just see what we had on the uh, Facebook group. I think there was a couple. Let's see. Chris Cree, she says she likes the Sharknado series. Uh, Megaforce and anything Andy Sedaris. Megaforce is an action film that... That film, I kept begging my dad to like rent it back in the the, you know, the early VHS days. And, oh, come on, rent that. This looks really cool. Rent that's really cool. I was almost grounded from ever picking a movie again and watching <laughs> Megaforce. It's pretty bad. Did you like it? Um, I don't think I even liked it as a kid. Okay. And I've watched it recently. <laughs> I think Riff Tracks actually did it, uh, and I watched like the Riff Tracks version, and it was, yeah, it's pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> I can see where it would be a guilty pleasure for people, though. Sure. I could absolutely see it. Rodney Barnett says he hesitates to call them guilty pleasures, but your The Hunter from the Future is a gem I dearly love. Uh, that's not one I've ever seen. I mentioned that to him. Uh, he also enjoys Star Crash, is sci-fi madness on a tiny budget, and Nightmare City is a blast of zombie action. And Jonathan Angarola agrees with Rod with, with Star Crash. Star Crash is like a, a an Italian uh, Star Wars-y ripoff, and it's awful mm. um david Hazelhoff is in there say no more yeah um, <laughs> but yeah so those are our films and uh everybody else says, thanks everyone for chiming in on their films that you love they're the bad movies that you love i i'm sure there are others there's a few after i was reading the list i'm like yeah okay i'd count that that would probably make a list of mine too you know maybe not a top five but if i went to 10 or something like sure. that <laughs> but not godzilla 98 not godzilla 98 <laughs> i've not watch that since i can't i I have it on dvd (laughs) that's disturbing (laughs) so so disturbing all right well that is going to do it for us thanks very much for listening a feedback or any films that you love that you want to chime in with uh send us to timeshifters podcast at gmail.com unless it's godzilla 1998 i don't want to hear anymore Uh, you can also you know, tweet us, Movies at the Mat, and at Time Shifters Pod, and join that Facebook group. Thank you very much for listening, and when we get back, I think we're going to grab a film from our lists. I think we'll do it again. We'll do so a couple films from our list. We'll do one uh, in two weeks, and then another one two weeks after that. So, And, and it's not going to be Godzilla 98. Damn. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. 